0: Ladies and gentlemen, I wanted to take a moment before starting today's podcast to thank one of the episode's sponsors. Choose Your Struggle is a podcast hosted by Jay Schiffman, a public speaker, coach, and now podcast host, interviewing people who have lived experience on the topics of mental health, drug use, substance misuse, and recovery to help end stigma and normalize difficult conversations through empathy and vulnerability. I myself have lived with a diagnosis of cyclothymia, a mild form of bipolar disorder. My mood can go from happy to the deepest depths of darkness, only to rise up to happy again in the space of a single day. Many of my film works and stories outside of urban legends are inspired by and created to better our understanding of the importance of mental health. In the UK, suicide is the biggest killer of men under the age of 45. That's above cancer and road accidents. In the USA, over 125,000 Americans die from overdose and suicide combined in the course of a year. These people are our neighbors, our friends, our families, our podcast hosts. Jay and I both believe that there are massive system changes that need to happen, but until we can have an honest conversation around these topics, many lives will be continued to be lost. As a man in long-term recovery, Jay recognizes his privilege. The way he sees it, to not do something meaningful, would frankly be a waste of his second chance. That is why he hosts the show, Choose Your Struggle, and that is why I believe you should check it out. Now let's begin. When I was 19 years old, I was awoken in the middle of the night by the sounds of a car driving over a curb and onto a pathway. What followed was a loud bang as the vehicle collided with somebody before crashing into a fence. By the time I had gathered my bearings and made my way to the window, the car had pulled out and the driver had fled. All I could see was the man laying on the floor, screaming in agonizing pain with his body crippled and broken in the middle of the road. This was over ten years ago at the time of this recording and yet I can still hear the blood-curdling screams that echo through my mind with such clarity that twist my insides with such intensity. That event changed my outlook in more ways than I ever realised forever more aware of the horrors that can suddenly appear right under our noses. You see, it was clear to me and to everyone else that whoever had hit this man was aiming for him. This realization of horrors was made all the worse when news spread across my sleepy town that a man that I myself had an altercation with earlier in the year had been arrested. This young man was charged with the heinous act of cutting off his own mother's hands. Although we don't think about it, we are all aware of just how close we are to the darkness at any point in our lives. We have no idea what's occurring down that dark alley as we walk by, or behind the thick curtains of the house in our road, and so we continue our lives, pushing the darkness out of our minds. To dwell on these dark anxieties for too long is no way to live. But what if one morning you woke up to find the darkness had arrived right under your nose? My name is Luke Mordew, and this urban legend is The Lights. As one of the more famous urban legends, this one remains somewhat chameleon-like, with its ability to morph into several iterations with enough vigor that each one could stand as its own prominent legend. Most of us have heard of at least two of these versions, and many of us probably don't even realize they're the same tale told in two different ways. This is one of the many reasons as to why it stood the test of time for so long. The element of this story that seems to cause that shiver up your spine whenever it is told isn't just the notion of just how close the protagonist is to this horrific crime but also how close she was to falling victim to it herself this begs the question that if she acted differently if her movements were ever so slightly changed what outcomes could have possibly occurred the tale of the lights brings forward a much smaller well-known urban legend to my mind for reasons i will explain This is the simple belief that in the city, usually the one you reside in, you are never more than six feet from a rat. This is a belief that has been retold across the concrete jungles around the world for more than a hundred years. When I was told this, it was of course a city I reside in, London, although I heard it being said for New York, Paris and others around the world. The one rat per person rule seems to have stemmed from a book released as far back as 1909, entitled The Rat Problem by W.E. Bolter. In reality, studies by David Cohen, science leader at Sand Hutton's National Wildlife Management Centre, suggest that in most urban areas, in Britain at least, you're closer to 164 feet away from a rat at any given time. Although, as tragic as this truth is, in the more run-down urban areas of our country, This legend is believed to become a reality according to environmental health and housing consultant, Dr. Stephen Battersby, where the number drops to 10 to 15 feet. The comparison between this legend and the furry city dwellers beneath our feet may seem strange, but it is another example of our willingness to adopt the beliefs that there is something close by at all times that we do not see, emphasizing just how aware we truly are of how little we know of what is happening in the darkness. It is another tale playing on the fears of what goes on behind closed doors, or what darkness lurks right under our noses. There's only one thing worse than coming to a horrible realisation, and that is knowing that you could have realised it much sooner. In my telling of the story, we will be following Cecilia as she studies hard for her upcoming exam with her roommate Emily, both unaware of the darkness that is heading their way. Their room was filled with textbooks and scribbled pieces of paper. Notes were stacked neatly on top of Emily's bed that rested against a wall on the left-hand side of the room. Cecilia's notes were spread out, bordering on chaotic as they covered the sheets on top of her bed that sat on the opposite side of their small bedroom. Usually, they would study with their headphones in, each glowing from the warm light that emitted from their bedside lamps, focusing on different subjects but keeping each other in check. ...but this time was different than usual. This was the only exam they both needed to sit in... ...the first time their studying had crossed paths. So, it only made sense that they would work together. It couldn't be said that they were friends. Not really. They very rarely did anything together outside of their home... ...and at no point had they ever truly opened up about the troubles in their lives. But as we all do, they would still refer to each other as their friends if they were ever asked. Close enough to enjoy each other's company... Friendly enough to hang out, distant enough that it would never get complicated. It wasn't forced or planned to be this way. They simply didn't seem to fit with each other, that's all. Whilst they were taking turns to ask each other questions, testing each other's knowledge, Emily could see the distraction in Cecilia's face as the ping of her phone echoed through the room like a game show buzzer. "'Just go check it,' Emily told her, slightly frustrated but still laughing under her breath. Cecilia didn't fight.' "'jumping to her feet and pacing across the room to her mobile phone "'that sat charging on a bedside table. "'She flicked it open and read three separate texts from three separate friends. "'Her face dropped. "'What is it?' Emily asked. "'My friends are at a party, I totally forgot,' Cecilia replied. "'Emily nodded her head, now unsure on whether her night was going to continue "'according to plans or if she was now going to spend the evening revising alone.' To her surprise, Cecilia replied to the text swiftly, her thumbs tapping away at the screen before flicking off the sound and throwing her phone onto the bed, almost as if trying to keep it out of sight and out of mind as much as possible. Right, come on, let's do this, Cecilia assertively said as she paced towards the desk to let Emily know that she was staying. And so they continued to question each other and contemplated certain confusing elements to the course they were working on but Emily could see the distraction growing in Cecilia's eyes. With each quiet moment or slight pause that occurred, her eyes would subconsciously dart in the direction of her phone. "'If you want to go, just go,' Emily told her with a smile that she hoped would convey that she would not be offended if she chose to leave her. Cecilia studied her face for a moment, a burst of excitement and worry seeping through her veins. "'Come with me,' she replied with a light lightbulb moment expression on her face." No, I've really got to revise. I'm struggling more than you are, Emily replied with a sigh. Just, just for a little bit. I really can't. Cecilia didn't know if she wanted Emily to come out so badly out of a newly found bond that they were experiencing that night, or if it was simply due to an element of guilt. Not only guilt of leaving her revising alone, but the guilt in herself of her lack of self-control. Perhaps it would have made her feel better to know that she was not alone in her failed attempt to help herself long term by staying in for a single night. Emily stuck to her guns though, and continued to revise as Cecilia darted around the room, throwing on a dress and applying her makeup as fast as she could while simultaneously announcing to her friends through text that she would in fact be there. Once she had slipped into her heels and done herself to an acceptable standard, she stood by the bedroom door, looking in at Emily who was already scribbling away in her notebook, focusing on the tasks at hand. Her phone pinged again, this time telling her the taxi was outside waiting. Are you sure you don't want to come? she asked, knowing it was already too late for her to jump into the taxi if she was ever to get ready. I'm sure. I'll see you in the morning. Just try not to wake me up when you get back, please, Emily replied with a soft smile. Cecilia nodded in agreement and slipped out of the house. When she got to the bottom of the stairs, she crept out of the front door and paced towards her taxi, greeting the driver as she flicked open the back door, but as she did, she paused for a moment. On the other side of the road, between two streetlights, but distant enough from both to remain in the shadows, stood a man smoking a cigarette. She watched the small amber glow of tobacco light up against a black silhouette ahead as he stared in her direction was he watching her was he watching the house perhaps he was simply waiting for somebody or had stepped outside for a smoke that must have been it that's what she told herself as she slipped into the taxi and drove away towards her night of fun and laughter within an hour cecilia had done enough shots to catch up with her friends she was telling jokes and stories in the back garden of the house party under the coloured fairy lights that glistened in the trees above. She had told her friends that she couldn't drink too much as she hadn't examined the morning and couldn't be late. But as they all got swept up in the atmosphere of alcohol and games, this notion swiftly went out of the window, especially with how bad she was at beer pong. By 1am... The speedy way in which Cecilia drank to catch up with her friends when she first arrived at the party, mixed with the several failed attempts at beer pong resulted in her leaning over the toilet seat in the upstairs bathroom, heaving into the bowl. Her friends knocked on the door and asked her if she was okay remaining on the other side of the locked door, to which she replied she was fine as she slumped down by the wall, taking a moment to gather her thoughts. She felt her phone buzz in her bag, but she ignored it focusing on her breathing whilst her friends over-dramatized on the events, begging for her to open the door on the other side. I'm fine. Seriously, relax, she called back, somewhat irritated by the overreaction to what was, by this point, a run-of-the-mill part of any night drinking. Her friends told her that they would be downstairs and they'd hoped she was okay, whilst also reminding her that there was a queue growing outside in the landing. But as this was said, Cecilia's phone buzzed again. Through her blurred vision and warped perspective, she reached into her bag and pulled out her phone to see she was being texted by Emily. The first was a blank message. Nothing at all. The second was a few random characters that created no possible word in the English language, or any language come to that. She studied it for a moment as the bottom read, Emily is typing, but it seemed to go on forever. Maybe she's accidentally pushed a key, Cecilia thought to herself as she replied, Is everything okay? A couple of seconds later, the writing, Emily is typing, disappeared, now replaced with, Emily is recording a message. While she waited, Cecilia got to her feet. She flushed the toilet and washed her mouth out with water from the bathroom sink, staring at herself in the mirror to try to gauge how drunk she was. The phone buzzed once more, loud at this time as it rumbled against the porcelain of the white goods. She opened it to find a 10-second-long voice note from Emily's phone, and so she clicked play lifting her phone to her ear to ensure it was heard clearly. All that played were the scuffles and groans, rubbing against fabric, banging against something hard. It grew louder and louder as it went on until it finally cut out to silence once again. Cecilia thought for a moment on what the hell was going on, but quickly came to the realisation that Emily must have not locked her phone before putting it back in her pocket and was now accidentally messaging and voice noting the most recent person she had texted. She laughed to herself and stepped out of the bathroom to find the long queue of frustrated faces waiting for her to stop potting around inside. She stumbled to the bottom of the stairs where her friends were now gathering their items, waiting for her to come down so they could tell her that they were off, as they too needed to get up the next day. They invited Cecilia to jump in a taxi with them, sharing the cost between them all as she too wanted to leave. She was back walking through the front door, waving her friends off as they disappeared into the distance within ten minutes of leaving the party. She slowly clicked the front door closed and crept up the long, dark corridor leading to the stairs that led to her shared bedroom. She had seen the lights outside were switched off and that Emily was already tucked away in bed. And so she crept up the stairs, step by step, as quietly as she could, flicking on the torch of her phone instead of turning on any lights. When she got to the bedroom door, she listened carefully for a moment, ensuring that Emily was in fact asleep before pulling down the creaky handle pushing it open as she stepped inside into the darkness. She avoided shining the dim light of her phone torch in the direction of Emily as to not disturb her as she slowly pushed the bedroom door closed behind. She slipped off her shoes and dress, leaving them on the floor as she tiptoed across the room as quietly as she could, focusing with all of her might to keep herself upright as the world span around her in a drunken state. Unfortunately... It seemed tiptoeing in the dark whilst drunk was causing more problems than it seemed as she slightly stumbled into her bedside table, causing a slam to fill the silence. Sorry, she whispered as she heard Emily's bed creak from movement. With the guilt of letting herself down, giving in to social pressure, on top of leaving Emily to revise alone, bailing on their plans, the last thing she wanted to do was to add waking her up to the list. And so she set the alarm on her phone for 8am, flicked off the torch and slipped into her bed to sleep the following morning cecilia woke up with her head heavy and throbbing her mouth was dry with a horrible taste left behind she looked up at the sun that peered brightly through the top of the curtains shining down on her eyes like a beam of light for a moment she enjoyed lying in her bed basking in the comfort of the pillow under her head before a sudden thought came to her she had woken up in this bed many times, and the sun only peered through onto her eyes nearer to midday, when the sun had risen further into the sky. A burst of panic exploded onto her as she shot up, her hand slamming down to her phone as she grabbed it. To her horror, it was dead and the alarm had been missed. She screamed as she jumped out of bed, darting around the bedroom in a panic. In the landing, she saw the clock that hung on the wall read, 10.35. The exam was to be sat in 25 minutes. Emily, our alarms didn't go off, she screamed as she pushed open the bedroom door with force, before diving into the bathroom to brush her teeth while simultaneously putting her hair up into an easy ponytail. She stepped into the landing, jumping into a pair of jeans she grabbed from the top of a washing basket whilst watching Emily lying asleep in bed. Emily, seriously, get up, she shouted in frustration, throwing a dirty t-shirt at her before slipping a top over her head. No time to get anything from the hangers. But when her head popped through the neck of that top, she grew somewhat concerned. A slight confusion as she noticed Emily was still not moving. Emily, she said, this time with more concern and dread in her voice as she slowly edged to enter the bedroom once again. But as she entered, pushing the door open fully, words that had scrawled in blood across the wall above her flatmate's bed came into view. She swiftly dove forward. Pulling the bedsheets from Emily, causing the dirty t-shirt to fly across the room as the mutilated corpse of her roommate lay dead in a pool of her blood that dripped through the mattress. Cecilia stumbled back, slamming into her bedside table where she had done the night before, desperately picking up her phone to call the police, forgetting that it was not charged. She ran past her body, keeping as far away as she could as she exited the room, pacing down the stairs and into the road outside screaming for help, leaving her friend behind once again this time under the bloodied words written across the wall that read, Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights? Alright, I think I hacked in. We're on the air? Shh, security's outside. But how's my hair? It's a radio station. Psst, psst. You guys hear about the Beyond the Shadows podcast with Ryan and Scott. You guys into paranormal? What about true crime? How about UFOs and cryptids? We also have mad hauntings. We got security. No, we don't. We're not big enough to need it yet. No, we got security. Hey, what are you guys doing? Get out of here! Listen to the Beyond the Shadows podcast. Beyond Beyond the Shadows! The Tale of the Lights, a close relative of the roommate's death that appeared in folklorist Jan Harold Brunvard's book The Vanishing Hitchhiker in 1981, and Humans Can Lick Too, always involves the murder of somebody or something right in front of a protagonist, blinded by the darkness. More often than not, the victim's mutilated body isn't discovered until much later, usually revealed by the light of day the following morning. The iterations vary from the often-female protagonist believing the sounds of somebody messing around or having sex in the other bed. Proving itself to go back further than any of us could have imagined that even surprised me, the first iteration of this urban legend goes all the way back to the 19th century England, years before the cases of Jack the Ripper. On the 11th of August, 1871, a diary entry by Dermon Birchall read, One of the guests told of a clergyman who was aroused in the middle of the night by his wife who said, John, dear, I am sure there is a robber under the bed. I hear him moving. Do get up and see. John replied, oh, it's only the Newfoundland dog. I just put my hand out and he licked it. Next morning, all of the jewellery and many other effects had disappeared. In 1919, a version appeared again in a tale called The Diary of Mr. Pointer, from British author, M.R. James, telling the story of a man who is engrossed in an ancient account of the death of a student, obsessed with his own hair. He leans down to absently pet his dog, oblivious to the true nature of the creature crouching beside him. It seems our anxieties that we live with have remained a part of our lives for as long as civilization itself. To lay in your own bed and slumber is where your guard is truly let down. It is in many ways where you are at your most vulnerable. For a story to come out of the woodworks that confirms that very fear is of course going to ignite the imaginations and nervous excitements of those who hear the tale. When a violent crime happens in our town, or our part of the city, there is always a strange twisting sensation inside of our stomachs where we consider ourselves both lucky and suddenly aware of our exposure to horrific crimes. Throughout our everyday lives we convince ourselves we are safe and comfortable, and we live by this until the day something rocks our belief and perception, unveiling that fear that sits inside of us. Bobby Duffy, Rhonda Wake, Tamara Burrows and Pamela Bremner of the Global Market Research and Public Opinion Specialists conducted an intensive study that found out that in the UK, 55% of British people consider crime and violence as one of the most worrying issues in life for them. This is one of the highest levels of concern that they have ever recorded for any single issue and was a whole 20 percentage points more than the next important issue listed. It seems that those of us in Britain consider crime and violence a higher priority for the British public than many other European countries and the USA. This, surprisingly, has been a consistent theme since as far back as 1997. There is a darkness in every corner of our streets there is a wonder that you have asked yourself at some point. The one that asks if you have ever met and spoken to a murderer that has never been caught. At the very least, there is a high chance you have passed one in the street. If you never considered this, I imagine you might the next time you're walking down a busy road, watching the blur of faces that passed you by full of light and dark in ways that we will never truly know. For me, it is that notion that makes this urban legend so horrifying that although a far more theatrical and over-the-top interpretation, it is an event that is all too familiar that causes those goosebumps to rise as the stories reveal themselves. With the focus on the horrifying aspects of it, we cannot forget the element of guilt and frustration that's built alongside it. For a long time, I struggled to forgive myself for not acting faster when I woke up to find that man lying on the road that I mentioned at the beginning of this recording. I was a teenager, Drunk and half awake and yet the fact it took me 30 seconds to get up and to the window and on top of that, another 30 seconds to gather the information and begin to jump into action only to find that by then, several others had already ran to his aid from other houses played on my mind for years. The notion of a murder occurring in the same room as you, or even the room next door whilst you lay in a peaceful slumber is another to make the individual lose sleep even now, I feel a discomfort in my stomach as I share this event with you. This is what makes the gloating, prideful scrawling of the text and the blood on the wall even more bitter, as the killer mocks your incompetence whilst confidently finishing their horrific act. Although this crime is completely fictional, with none of the events based on any truth in our reality, the story was widely believed across American campuses in the mid to late 90s. Introducing a fear and anxiety into the world of the young that were already so excited and afraid to be so far away from their parents, out in this world by themselves. It is a constant theme in these cautionary tales of the young away from the comfort of their family home. They are consistent reminders of just how strange it is to step away and into the chaos of life by yourself. We feel old and mature enough to handle the big wide world out there but even the most confident will share that anxiety that sneaks through the cracks of the excitement as the new world is suddenly thrust upon us. We believe ourselves to be prepared, but the nerves remain. These nerves are healthy and perfectly reasonable, now having to fend for yourself entirely as you step out into the world of work or college. Throughout its long life, the story has factors that are consistent throughout, everlasting aspects to the tale. The first is the writing on the wall. It is almost always there, whether it be blood or lipstick, adding to the big theatrical set-piece to the finale. It is this imagery that burns into our skulls. The second is that the protagonist is so often a woman that, due to many factors, just makes the story creepier as we imagine the killer's eyes watching her enter the room, thus leading to a mystery of why she was left to survive. We are all aware in some way that a violent crime could occur at any day. Nobody that has ever been attacked in the dark, out of the blue, has ever expected it to happen. We are all too familiar with the prospect that we are vulnerable in such an unsafe world. One that proves itself to be so dark and dangerous the more we read and understand by the purposely chosen shocking news segments on TV and online. The reason these urban legends slowly fade away, only to appear again with full force in a boomerang-like fashion is simply down to the anxieties of that time matching them with whatever tale catches on to our fears. In today's world of unrest and divisiveness amongst us all, it is no wonder that urban legends are reappearing in the world again. This episode is also sponsored by the brilliant services supplied by Podcorn. You'll have noticed that I mentioned that I create these podcasts of my own back, with finances out of my own pockets in my ad breaks. Podcorn has made it much easier for me to raise money needed to host these episodes by creating an open platform marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities without having to mess about with the middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities then and there. There they can show their rates and can collaborate with brands directly. You never give up any rights to your podcast and Podcorn is there to support you at every step to ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do. Their mission is simple, to give podcasts transparency, creative freedom and full control when we monetize. If you want to find out more and take a look at what's on offer, click on the link in my show notes and sign up to Podcorn to start browsing sponsorship opportunities. The responses and reviews for Urban Legends have been a wonderful surprise for us here, and we're over the moon that our listeners are enjoying our content. Although it hasn't gone unnoticed that many of you have commented that you wish there was more content from us. This is why we've begun a Patreon with two tiers. For £4 a month, you can join us as a Mythologist, where you can catch all episodes of Urban Legends without any of these ad breaks, allowing you to focus on the story at hand as well as exclusive hidden episodes released the Monday after each legend, delving into similar legends not covered in the main series. For £8 a month, you can join us as an anthropologist, where you can catch all that I previously mentioned, as well as the ability to put your version of the legend forward to be read in the main series. Invitations to live Q&As with me, working-in-progress updates, priority voting on what legends we'll cover in the seasons to come, and even the chance to feature on one of our footnotes. The more our Patreon grows, the more content we can create, and the shorter our breaks between seasons become, so we hope you'll join us soon. And now, back to the podcast. Mostly circulated across college grounds for the past few decades, the story varies from bone-chillingly horrifying to downright eerie, with much at its core staying very much the same. In its simplest iteration, a girl walks back to her home to get her books and hygiene products from her room before heading over to her boyfriend's for the night. This reason varies from a sleepover at a lover's, to a party, to a library where she's up late revising. When she gets back, she enters the darkness, realising her friend is asleep and decides to keep the lights out. She stumbles around the room in the dark, clumsily gathering her books, clothes, toothbrush, hairbrush and whatever else she could get hold of before finally leaving, gently closing the door behind her. But when she gets back to her room the following day, she finds the building swarming with police. Confused, she approaches an officer and explains that she lived there. It's only when she tells him her room number that his face changes, asking her to follow him inside. She's escorted into the building and up to her room, where she finds the bloodied sheets of her roommate's bed, with the blood-soaked writing on the wall that reads, Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? It is then she realizes that her roommate was being murdered at the very same time she was there to gather her things. In these stories, the killer is never seen or revealed. Treated more as a shadowy, almost supernatural figure that manages to blend through the darkness without a sound. On a more realistic note, it would be hard for a killer to write on a wall in such darkness as if it was too dark for them to be seen, it was also too dark for them to see the wall. There is also the case that if somebody was being murdered on a bed, there would at the very least be some sounds of the creaks of the mattress as the victim struggled in some way. This was covered in the 90s adaptation of the story featured in the film Urban Legend that I mentioned in a previous episode as the protagonist mistook the murder for her frivolous roommate having sex with no regard to her comfort or privacy, a character trait that was set up earlier in the narrative. In these stories though, it seems strange that a murder could occur so close to somebody already trying so hard to be quiet, but of course, the cracks in the logic begin to appear and grow deeper the further you get inside. Another version of the tale tells the story of two roommates who have decided to stay in their college dorms over the holiday breaks in North America. One night, one of the two girls goes out on a date whilst the other uses this time to pamper herself before turning in for an early night. In this version of the story, we stay with our sleeping friend as she slumbers away peacefully. It is later in the night that she is awakened by the sounds of gurgling and scratching at the dormitory door from the hallway outside. The sounds were monstrous, eerie and unnerving, occasionally fudding against the wood of the door in a weak fashion. Finally, the girl gets up and walks to the door, locking it closed to ensure whatever was outside could not get in. She climbs back into bed and cowers in the corner, waiting for whatever it is to go away in fear and panic. It isn't until the sun comes up the next morning and the banging, scratching and gurgling has stopped for some time that she finally decides to step out into the hall. It is when she steps out that she is greeted by the sight of the bloody corpse of her roommate against the wall. Her throat had been slit, as she had bled to death in the hallway whilst clambering to get her attention. Although this, and other variations of the story was widely believed, I see it as much more of a cautionary tale to be careful when we are alone at night. To be careful who you invite into your home, and to always lock your doors. A folklore tale that works to heed caution but to make the audience's blood run cold, like many of my favourite stories do. That interpretation, and The Lights itself, seems to blend two other urban legends. One that was mentioned earlier, with the man believing it was a dog under the bed, and that of The Lovers, where our boyfriend of the tale was desperately trying to get her attention, dying alone in the dark that I covered in episode 2. This legend, that of The Lights, is in fact an evolution of an urban legend a variant of the original source from the 19th century that I have already mentioned this is familiar in many ways enough so that you would recognize it as the same and yet almost stranger, sillier and yet somehow creepier the tale of the dog this version follows a man or a woman in various settings to keep it simple I will make it a man and I will tell it as if he simply lived alone one night he is brushing his teeth as he always does, scrubbing away in the mirror as he studies his reflection as many of us do. But his vanity is interrupted by the soft squeak of a dog's toy that exudes from the shadow in the hall. He turns to the doorway to see a sweet little dog looking up at him, its chew toy by its feet. He tells the dog it's too late to play in its bedtime before popping his toothbrush back on the sink and flicking off the lights. He caved for a moment playing of the little dog as he walked along the hallway and into the bedroom, throwing the dog toy onto the bed. The little animal jumps up, grabs his toy, and jumps back to the ground, sitting on the blanket by the bed. The man lays down, takes a sip of his water and flicks off the light, dangling his arm over the edge of the mattress to stroke the little dog's head, who then pulls back slightly, beginning to lick its owner's fingers with delight. The man smiles. Partly from the slight tickle that comes of a dog's tongue, but mostly the comfort of being loved and looked after by a cute furry little being. But as he slept, the dog suddenly pulled away, looking deep into the darkness across the room. The man wakes up, annoyed by the sounds of a dripping coming from the bathroom across the hall. He looks at the time, realising it is now 3am. Whilst letting out a frustrated sigh, he asks his little dog to go and turn off the tap smirking to himself due to his silliness, trying to keep calm in his grumpy state. He gets to his feet, walks across the hall and into the bathroom. He twists the tap slightly and wipes the faucet to ensure it's dry before heading back to bed. He lays down, closes his eyes and begins to doze off once again. His hand still draped over the side of the mattress, smiling once again as his little furry friend began to lick away at his fingers, gentler this time in its sleepy state. But this was all short lived as the dripping continued once again. Now the man is growing fed up as he jumps to his feet, pacing across the hall and twisting the taps in the bathroom again. He wipes the faucet but it is dry. He touches the sink, also dry. The drip happens once more as he realises it's coming from behind the shower curtain. He hadn't had a shower that night, so it was strange to him that the shower head would be dripping. But he was too tired to worry about house maintenance and so he grabs the curtain and yanks it back. Vomit shoots up from his stomach to his throat as he begins to gag, realizing that the sound was in fact blood, slowly dripping from the body of his furry little friend, who had been hung upside down and brutally mutilated. For a moment, the anger and horror sweeps over him as he screams and shouts, but as quickly as the shot comes, the realization that it could not have been his dog that was licking his hands sets in. He turns and darts into the hallway, speeds into the bedroom, and instantly flicks on the light. He checks under the bed, nothing, the wardrobes, nothing. It is then he notices that the window is wide open where it wasn't before. He steps closer, looking out into the dark streets below, knowing this marauder could be watching him from any shadow but as he peers out, he catches the glimpse of something in the corner of his eye, writing written above the bed, scribbled in a chaotic manner that reads, humans can lick too. Urban Legends is written and produced by Luke Mordew, researched by Sean Davis, in association with Mordew Pictures. Original score by Billy Jupp, with additional sounds from audioblocks.com. If you like what you've heard and want to hear more, make sure to click subscribe. You can find out more about Urban Legends, including a complete written breakdown of this episode, with images, news reports, and citations listed on anything that's been said at lrmordew.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at ulpodcast on Instagram at urbanlegends.podcast or on Facebook by simply searching Urban Legends Podcast.